Please enjoy our spoiler-free part one of the interview with our guest, author M.D. New. You can get part two of this interview by supporting us on patreon.com slash books that burn. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin, and welcome to a very special episode of Books That Burn, where we have a guest. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I am author M.D. New, and I am so honored to be uh, your guest. We're happy to have you. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, we have some general questions and just a couple different categories of things. The first chunk of this interview is going to be spoiler free and then after that um audience we will s- announce that it's about to be the spoiler filled zone to whatever degree ends up happening so if you're trying to avoid spoilers feel free to listen to this first bit and we'll make sure you know when that switches we will also have the timestamp in our show notes our show notes that sounds great Uh, Robin, you want to ask the first question, or would you like me to? Sure. Uh, so first, can you just uh, talk a little bit about just what books have you written uh, so that our audience can hear some of those titles, and then we'll get into the main questions. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, do you want me to also share a little bit about my uh, personal history as well? Sure. sure, yeah, yeah. Any intro stuff you want to say, go for it. Okay, great. Well, so, as I said, I am uh, author M.D. New. I write uh, LGBTQ works that uh, really try, I really try and strive to represent our diverse community um, in a very positive way. I've always wanted to write stories that, that, show characters going on these great adventures or having these great adventures happen around them or to them or with them. And I wanted them to reflect who I was as a gay man. Um, But not only that, but I also wanted it to reflect our greater community because I just don't think there is enough representation out there. We have all these great romance stories, but not everybody likes to read romance. People like to read different types of stories. And that was kind of this niche that that I saw that I knew that I wanted to at least try and fill or write works that would fit into that, that anybody could read and just kind of sit back and go on a really cool adventure, you know, like what we would see in TV and and movies and stuff like that, just with LGBTQ community members. So that said, what I write is I tend to write paranormal, sci-fi, and more urban fantasy Um, I am published through Nine Star Press. Um, My debut novel was The Calling, which is a vampire witch story that happens to take place in Silicon Valley, um, San Jose, California, where I live. And um, so that was my debut novel. Then I have my sci-fi series, uh, New World, which has book one, which is Contact, and book two, which is Conviction. There is also... My next book, which is more of an urban fantasy dealing with an angel of death and a drag queen, um, that was a little bit more, I, I thought it was a little bit more fun, um, but it also, <laughs> it also can be a little bit more dark, uh, some people have said. And then I have two short stories right now. One is called A Dragon for Christmas, which deals with a little girl who wants to get her uh, self a dragon because she needs a dragon to um, uh, fight off a curse. 
And the other Ooh. book is called The Reunion, which is more of a ghost story type of thing. Uh, these friends, every year on the anniversary of the town where they all lived to demise, go back and have a reunion to just get reacquainted and to see how each other are doing. And then I've got some other books that I'm working on, and my publisher just picked up the um, next book in the uh, the Calling series, uh, which um, should be out hopefully the end of this year or beginning of next year, depending on where we go with the virus and the pandemic and all that good stuff. Makes sense. So I will say, as someone who uh, is one of those people who just does not go after or really generally care about most like romance centered books i really appreciate that (laughs) in your writing um it's actually one of the things that uh actually makes it hard for me personally to find um queer fiction or lgbtq fiction because so much, you know, if you look up that genre, you get romance because there's so many authors that think that, like, you have to have that as your, your focus or it doesn't, I don't know, like, it doesn't count or, like, those people don't exist otherwise. It's really bad. Yeah. it was. Um, you, or it, if it's written by cishet people, maybe they have this relationship in order oh, to yeah. try and have diversity and then don't don't know that there's so much more and so many more kinds of queer identity that they could be portraying. Oh, that's that's definitely part of it. But I, I did also realize, um, I didn't realize this until we started this podcast, but a lot of the books that I really enjoy tend to have characters that explicitly say, I want nothing to do with that. Moving on with my life. And so um, it, it's it's just not... I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a, a, a category of fiction that I personally have a hard time finding things I really like. But I really liked your books that we read. I really liked Contact. Because oh, it, it, it felt natural and it felt like it made sense. Like the, the relationships were there made sense and they were, they were cool and they were intimate at times. But I didn't feel like it was something I was getting through to get to what I feel in my head is like the main story or whatever. So it was, it was really, it was really refreshing to read. Yeah. And that was really important to me. I wanted to show, cause, cause really the other thing is, is that with romance and, and I don't mean this in a disparaging sort of way, but you have mm-hmm. perfect characters. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's men or women or whatever, you know, they're mm-hmm. the, the guys have all got the six pack abs and the broad shoulders and the perfect chest and the tiny waist and the really big other things. And the women have really <laughs> large chests and the tiny waists and the poofy lips and, And like I said, I have no problem with any of that, and that's fine because that suits the genre. But for Mm -hmm. what I wanted to write is I just wanted to write about kind of these, not average, but average people, you know? I just wanted to write about the everyday person, like Todd, for for an example. He could, you could walk down the street and you could pass him and not think anything of him because he's just a normal person. He's the, the guy you see at the coffee shop every day and think nothing about. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of where yeah. I was going. It, it wasn't that they're, you know, anything bad about them. It, they're just normal. No. <laughs> it was just like I yeah. wanted to show. Yeah. It's like, hey, these, these are normal people out there. And, and you know, all the characters 
are a conglomeration of people that, you know, they all have bits and pieces of people that I know. So, you know, and none of us are perfect. And that was why I really kind of went for the more the everyman type of story. Just kind of like what you see in some of, in a lot of other fiction, in another, in a lot of other sci-fi novels and stuff like that, that don't fa- uh, focus on romance. They're just normal people that get thrust into these crazy circumstances and then have to figure yeah. out how to go with. So I actually, that actually dovetails really easily into one of the questions that we have on our list. Um, so I would like to ask you, uh, when you're building a character concept, do you consider your character's physical description when writing how other characters treat them or, or, or not? Are they just, are they just characters and then you just kind of have other aspects that, that affect how they're treated? So usually for me, my characters, and this may or may not sound a little bit crazy, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, my characters mm-hmm. kind of come to me either in a dream or somehow. And, and we'll have this dialogue. We'll start kind of mentally, I'll start talking to them and, and, you know, all of a sudden this image of them will just kind of start to appear. And so I write down kind of the defining features about the characters. Some characters I can tell you, you know, I can go into so much detail about how they look. I can tell you where they have a mole, you know, other characters yeah. are much more generic and, and vague. And, and that's not secondary characters or main characters. It, it is mm-hmm. a character, you know, and there's um, one character and I, and I didn't, you guys, I don't think have read uh, the calling, but there's one mm-hmm. character in um, that book where she is, it, we never find out the color of her eyes. Hmm. And that's because I never found out the color of her eyes. That was just something that was always this vague mystery to me. And it was very odd because you would think that that would be something, you know, when you're writing your character bio or whatever, that that would appear, you know, that would be, okay, their eyes are blue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So then kind of jumping off of that, um, there's like, we've, we've talked a little bit about trying to incorporate kinds of queerness, but what is your approach to incorporating visible characters of color in your work? And what do you do to make it go beyond social coding or not? So as you saw with um, contact and conviction, you met the character Dan and Katie. Mm -hmm. Dan is Latino and Katie is Japanese American. And Oh, okay. Yeah. and, And it wasn't so much that I, intentionally went about bringing that in because I, mm-hmm. I try not to shoehorn characters into things that they aren't. Yeah. Um, but that's who they are. And so that's what I wanted to show. It was like, so there's references with, you know, when Dan, when he, you know, will throw in a, an occasional Spanish word here and there that sometimes people catch, sometimes people don't, but just to kind of reinforce that. But I, uh, but I made him, I didn't want to show him as a stereotype. Right. Even though I did right. show him as a, ter- a stereotype. I was going to say, the <laughs> meeting, the, the first yeah. scene with with, with uh, Todd, Jerry, and Dan, I was just like, we're making the rounds of all the, the gay men stereotypes in like a really good way. Yeah. <laughs> like it worked really well. Well, that's the- but I was like, well, I think that's different. It, it is different if you're... <sighs> 
it, it is different to to try and stay away from a stereotype that is is not part of your identity than it is to try and give different af- uh, like aspects on something that reflects you. Oh, if absolutely. that makes sense, right? Well, yeah. and the thing with Dan, where I actually even my publisher was a little, they were very hesitant about Dan. They there <laughs> were some parts where they were like, they basically. I remember the um man, uh, the the publisher, the the executive director, or not the executive director, um, uh, the, the boss, basically. She mm-hmm. basically said, if you don't make this change, we will not be able to publish your book. <laughs> oh. And so it was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to make that change. Um, gotcha. But what, what my argument has always been is Dan is based on three people. And that's who those people are. So everything that Dan says, especially yeah. at the beginning of the story is very much the, some of the people that, that I know in my life. And, and that was kind of the point that I was trying to make is, okay, Dan is over the top. But then when you actually see Dan go into his military mode, yeah, it's a complete shift. And you realize that, okay, all of a sudden, you have this character who you think is just flighty and flitty and and every stereotype possible. But then all of a sudden, he goes into this whole shift and Mm -hmm. it just makes it to me it just made that character so much more real and authentic and yeah and it was like because that's how we are that's you know work mode is totally a thing yeah yeah i mean we're all like that we have our moments where we're absolutely over the top and ridiculous and then we have our moments where we're very serious so when it came to the diversity of the characters i wanted to show that yeah there are a few moments here and there where a character might be Oh God, they're being very stereotypical. But then all of a sudden you see them in another aspect where you go, holy cow, I that I didn't see that coming from anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, especially the moment where, uh, and this is, it, I'm trying not to approach the spoiler zone, but there's a very poignant okay. moment where <laughs> um, Dan and Todd are having a very heart wrenching conversation. Mm-hmm. And that was intentional. I needed I needed to reinforce that fact that Dan, despite what you thought of Dan up to this point, he's a real person. Yeah. And so I think that makes that makes sense. Yeah. And so I kind of try and approach the same thing with the ethnicity and the diversity. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm actually surprised that nobody has caught yet is that the aliens, the ones that we meet, um, Maiko, um, mm-hmm. Mycin, uh, Lena, and Mirtoff, um, they're all people of color. They're, mm. they're, Myco, Mycin, and Lena are all part of one of the clans that would be, we would, you know, we would classify as pretty close to African American. And, okay. and Mirtoff is what we would consider, um, somebody who is mixed race. You know, more okay. Asian, African-American. And it surprised me. And I thought people would pick that up right away. But no, but so very few people did. I that, definitely they picked match, up on... Yeah, I definitely you said picked they, up on there being, like... I, I thought of it as being their version of having 
their own ethnic diversity. So I definitely picked up on like there being different clans and stuff. And I, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't thinking in terms of the aliens mapping on to specific human ethnicities. Well, they don't really, but for, for description's okay, okay. sake, it was just, mm. you know, when I was writing out the races or the clans, as mm-hmm. I call them in the book, um, I needed to give them, I needed, the clans all needed to become, be very different. They all needed to have their own quirks and personalities. They all had to have a very unique look. There had to be a reason for the clans to be a clan. Right. And so I, mm-hmm. so when I was pulling all these things together, I did pull on our history a little bit and go, okay, well, races tend to make the most sense, but that's not going to be what decides who they are. The race is kind of secondary, yeah. but it's still there subtly. And so it was like, so when I was mapping all the clans, it was like, that's how it ended up being. And then of course, more into the characters, they ended up being these, you know, what we would consider darker skinned people. And it was like, huh, but nobody caught it. And so I was just like, well, I either did a really good job or really bad job, (laughs) or it didn't matter. And I'd like to think that it just Hmm. didn't matter to anybody. I definitely think, at least for me, it was like, okay, there's there's definitely a lot of diversity within the aliens, and whatever diversity means to them, they clearly have that. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I just didn't worry about it, because I was like, oh, cool. I, I mean, there are some plot-specific points where it definitely matters, but most of the rest of the time, it just was like a cool story. Yeah, and that's I mean, what I wanted to go for. I think, honestly, my personal kind of interpretation of them really, <laughs> I, I, there's a TV show that I quite literally grew up on that tends to depict a large variety of alien, uh, of humanoid or human similar aliens. Are just we because- talking about Star Trek? No, no, we're talking about Babylon 5. Oh my god, I talking love Babylon, Babylon 5. 5. Yes, okay. So, and so it was really funny because when I read, when I was reading it, my brain went, oh, human similar has nothing to, <laughs> like, in my head I wasn't thinking like, oh, they're going to actually look human because that's kind of my, like, default humanoid but alien, like, depiction reference i guess sure well and that's so how we're I, able to, I didn't even think about it yeah and that's how we're able to that's how we're able to relate to them it's much yeah. harder to rate to relate to an alien species if they look say uh, you like um oh god for okay from babylon 5 you know the the dark ones the the scary dark monster guys uh the shadow uh, the shadow thank you that was the word i was looking yeah. for you know, I was more thinking of even just like there's rich, rich uh, things to be developed in having aliens that look like insects. But one of the problems is then that tends to activate a fear response in people. And so yeah. I'm just like, ah, I just want aliens that look like praying mantises, but no one else wants this. Or the, uh, the pack morale where you find out they're carrion eaters and you're just like, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. and then there's no more story there because that's it. You're done. Yeah. Yeah, well, there um, was a there was a science fiction book, and I I don't remember the name of it, but it was really, it was kind of that that theory of an alien race reaches out, and makes contact with us, but they don't make contact with like us in general. It's all audio, and they reach out to a marketing, a PR firm basically, 
to help them present themselves to the world because they don't look like us. They look like it, they look like giant bugs or something like that or spiders okay. or something like that. So it was just that, that really kind of cool idea of, yeah, if you're an alien race and you're peaceful, but you don't have two legs, two arms, you know, a head and a nose or whatever, yeah. that's going to be a tough sell to the general public. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, we're going to do one more question in our, our kind of spoiler-free area or not um and then we'll then we'll go on uh so going back to depictions of queerness um when depicting types of queerness that are not your identity or that you don't really like have as much experience with do you kind of run them by with members of those communities or what do you use to guide those depictions yes to both um okay i I do, and then I do take a certain amount of artistic liberty with that, because what I have found is what may be appropriate for, let's say, one uh, person who's, who's transsexual or, mm-hmm. or trans may not be appropriate for another person mm-hmm. of the same, uh, of also being trans. So some of the characters um, in Tad, uh, especially Tad, I knew going in that I was going to have this character that was not going to fit the standard sexual norms. And, but I also knew that there were going to be times because the way the book is written, that he would fit the standard sexual norms. And it was really hard to do that and be fair to everybody. And I know that for the most part, people have been pretty forgiving of it. Um, which has been good because they kind of have seen where it's gone. But yeah, even, you know, even with like the editors and stuff like that, when they were editing Tad, they went through some sensitivity readers. Okay. And which really helped. And, but what was funny with that is that the sensitivity readers who she was, um, I want to say she was, Ace, I think that's right. I could be wrong. Um, but they came and said, yeah, I can actually relate to Tad when he's doing this. And then, then she came hmm. back and said, oh, yeah, and I can relate to Tad when he's doing this. And I'm like, wait a second. You just you, you, you just can relate to him on both sides. Wait, I don't understand what's going on. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't, but that wasn't for me. It was, you know, yeah. that was how she interpreted it. And I had to sit that back and accept and say, okay, you know, hey, it worked for you. You're fine with it. You're one of the sensitivity readers. You didn't have a problem with it. Great. Um, I, you know, I didn't, and I really didn't have any other problems with that particular character. But when I do run into things that are, I have had a trans character in one of my, in my short story, um, uh, The Reunion, and I did have them... I ran kind of random by somebody who I knew who was trans and they said, yeah, that, that, you know, trans, trans, uh, man to woman. And, and she was like, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it is. And I was like, okay, you know, so I try, but I also realized that you, you're talking to one individual and it's their interpretation of it. It's their story. So yeah, they can relate to it or they can't. So yeah. it's really hard. It, it, to find that balance. 
There's even definitely like generational stuff where when you said transsexual, like a bit of me cringed and I was like, I really wish you would say transgender. But also, there are people 10, 20 years older than me where they're like, why do we? I have to call myself transgender now? I have been transsexual <laughs> my entire life. Yeah. So yeah. That's- and, and I get, and, I, and that's where I get into because I'm older. <laughs> we mm-hmm. won't say how much older, but I'm older. <laughs> Um, and I and I do try and watch myself when I I use specific terminology because I know that there are people who get very who are very protective of of the terms and and I try as hard you know I, I I try as best as I can to make sure that I'm using the proper terms but even when I was writing some of like like the particular character who was trans um, you know the feedback I got was. Yes, they are transsexual, and I'm like, but what about transgender and all this other stuff? And she said, no, they're tra- this character because of their age and da 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 would right, fall right. into. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Okay, you you're my expert on this, and I'm gonna just go yeah. with that because and what else can I do? I mean, as one more trans person, I can confirm. Yeah, uh, it's definitely <laughs> a generational thing. And if this person was supposed to have been born, I would, as of, since I wasn't alive, then my vague sense would be before the 70s, then for sure, they just probably wouldn't have used the term transgender, just wasn't around. And, like, yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. But then also it would have, it might have seemed odd if you had a character who was supposed to have been born in the early 2000s who then used the term transsexual for themselves. It's not impossible, but it's it's less likely. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, that's kind of a big issue um, with some of the terminology. And it is really one of those things where it's like, I. that's why I usually try and stick to trans, even though when I was in my 20s, trans was not the term that you would use. It was just like you didn't use queer. Queer wasn't a word that you used in general. Um, you know, it just wasn't how it was. But, you know, times change, things change, sensibilities change. And now we have, you know, this wider spectrum of terms and terminology that people can identify to, which, you know, we have to incorporate and, and use um, appropriately. Cool. Uh, so I... Do you want to ask a very particular question about disability? Do you, uh, but I think it's going to go into spoiler territory uh, because I want to ask it. Well, just actually, do can you we ask a- one more before we get there? Because I just realized oh, sh- we're at 26 minutes on our recording. I was just going to say, do you have a spoiler-free answer to the question? Oh, okay. <laughs> how does setting influence depictions of disabilities in your stories? So, one, um, when it comes to disability, that is a very, to me, that is a very broad term. Um, my, right, yes. m- myself, I was diagnosed when I was six, seven years old. Well, first grade. So here in the United States, first grade, whatever age that is, with severe mm-hmm. dyslexia. Um, okay. Now people say, oh, dyslexia this, dyslexia that. But at the time, it was, you know it was a big thing. So I had to go to special classes and repeat first grade. So, um, all I was in special classes to learn how to read and write all the way up to my, up, up to junior high. And that was just to get me to baseline. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I hear people say, oh, well, you know, we have to include diversity with um, uh, disabilities and so forth. It's like, well, yeah. However, my response to that also is there's a yeah, but it's like there are there disabilities that happen that you don't always know about and people don't talk about. Not that they're ashamed or anything like mm-hmm. that, but you know, it's, it just doesn't come up. Yeah. I don't tend to go around telling everybody, Hey, I'm dyslexic and I can't read, you know, because people go, well, (laughs) well, you're a writer. How, what do you mean you can't read? It's like, well, it's very simple. I see words backwards and letters backwards. I have to, I had to spend years and years and years training my mind to see things like everybody else sees them. Um, and to learn how to read. And, and, you know, people go, oh, well, everything's phonetic. Everything's phonetic. Really, let's start with phonetic. And then let's start <laughs> oh, with my phone. Let's start with psychology. <laughs> you know, you you know, you sit there and go, yeah, okay, so phone, F-O-N-E. And everyone's like, well, no, it's P-A. You know, so uh, it's like you sit there and go, come on. Okay, you can't say it's phonetic. But anyway, so that that's just me. So when I, so when it comes to, like, the characters, people who may have a invisible disability will mm-hmm. catch on to some of the, the ticks that I put into the characters. So there may not be something outwardly like somebody's in a wheelchair, right? Mm-hmm. Or somebody has, you know, something like that. But there are going to be some, some ticks here and there that, that certain characters may or may not have that people will be able to catch. And it does impress me when people actually catch them. It's like, oh, wow, okay, cool. You were paying attention. 10 points for you. Did that answer your question? Yeah. It, it does. Actually, it's it's kind of funny because talking about that, that it there have been a lot of, in the last few years, there have been a lot of different characters that I have seen people, kind of, like fans, kind of retroactively go back and say, oh, this character makes sense to have this invisible disability mm-hmm. or this invisible cognitive thing. And the writers kind of go, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and so it's, I, I don't know, it's its interesting because. It's nice to hear from somebody that sometimes. Sometimes that's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I do try and, and do that. I have, um, and this isn't a spoiler, but I, it was funny. Um, in The Calling, I have one character. Again, I know you guys didn't read it, but in The Calling, I have this one character who's introduced in the first book. And, you know, they're they're not a main character, but they're an important character. And when I was writing the second book, which is also the conclusion of the story, I found out that the character is in a wheelchair. And, mm, and, it, okay. was, and it was like, everyone's like, well, wait, how did you not know that they were in a wheelchair? <laughs> Again... When the character introduced themselves and came forward, it wasn't important to them. It was so like that's actually a, another question on our on our list: is if you ever had a character surprise you with a disability after you started writing? Yes, yeah, and, and that character did. And then what was funny is I went back because I had to actually go. Okay, is this going to work? Because I, you know, I as much as I would love to do this, I can't shoehorn this in and have somebody go, wait a second, this character can't do this because they did X, <laughs> Y, and Z. So I went yeah. back and read the, you know, reread the bits with the character in the first book and found out that, no, there is no, re- there, you would have had no, no knowledge of if they were, if they weren't in a wheelchair at that point. So I was like, oh, wow, it worked out really well. 
And I don't know if that was my subconscious, if that was the character, if that was something else. I don't know, but it, how it just worked out. And it was like, okay, well, that works out really well. Um, all right. So we've got a, a couple of wrap-up questions. Do you, so if, well, we have three, technically. Uh, do you have a favorite book written by someone else? And if so, what makes it your favorite? I've got a couple of favorite books. Um, one is The Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, th- I think that's like in order to get your k- gay card, at least for my generation, that was required reading. Um, ah, dang, that's how it got me. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, oh no! <laughs> but I, but I love, but I loved that story. It was just so good. And despite what people say, I really liked the movie. And I know that Anne Rice liked the movie. So <laughs> people who didn't, they can just suck it. Um, yeah. You know, because and I, and I think so, a, I think a lot of the Anne Rice hate comes from the. Um, legislative problems that she gave fan fiction writers um i think that uh that i think that was a big a big part of it from what i saw yeah i mean probably i mean you know it's you know yeah i don't know i don't have anything to say on that it's like yeah okay but you like that was the whole thing i I did i I liked that book um i also liked uh um uh, kim stanley robinson uh series red mars uh, Green Mars, Blue Mars. Um, it's hard okay. sci-fi, which is just phenomenal, and I love it. And he he did so well with that series. Um, I, I just I, I enjoyed the, that one. Um, as far as like, and then I I always have the soft spot for. And since you both read Contact and Conviction, you're going to know it immediately. You guys can probably guess since I put it in the book and had a whole chapter dedicated to it. <laughs> was my Antonia. Oh yeah. I, um, okay. I loved that book. That was one of my favorite books in high school. I don't know why I can't tell you there was just something about the story <laughs> that I just loved that really resonated with me. And when I was writing um, the scene with Vinearm and Todd, I needed something that they could bond over and I made it that book. Okay. So yeah, so cool. so yeah, so those are those I would say are there's a bunch of other books. I mean, I'm looking like around my den right now, and it's like oh, we've got tons of Stephen King and Tolkien yeah. and all this other stuff. But those were the ones that kind of jumped out at, out at me. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite non-traumatic thing in any of your books? My favorite non-traumatic thing is when um, in in uh, I think it's conviction. When Mycen and Todd go up uh, on the the ship and and they go do the tour from um, the Earth to the Moon and back, they have that whole that whole dinner and everything like that. That was just that was one of my favorite scenes to write. I just as cheesy as cheese tastic as it was, I wrote that scene for me, and I don't care if anybody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> And then um, I do have another one where any scene with Lena, uh, Michael's oh, wife, okay. I just, I love her. She's like one, of, I, I, I could spin her off into her own books, but I, I just, I love her so much. <laughs> she's just, she's kind of that voice of reason and just that, that wisdom that I just love so much that you just kind of, she just kind of walks in and makes her point and walks out and everybody just goes, whoa. So yeah, so the, so any scene with her in it is just kind of my favorite. 
Yeah, Lena definitely okay. felt like a character. It's like, I believe that she has a rich, full life that just, <laughs> just only isn't here. Par- that right only now. partially intersects with this story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, and then uh, for Tad, one of, one of my favorite scenes with Tad is um, there's a, a moment where, <laughs> and it makes me chuckle every time, where, um, where, uh, 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 Doug and, uh, no, Doug, T- uh, yeah, no, Doug, Doug, yeah, Doug, Doug and Tad, <laughs> sorry, I was getting my characters confused, Doug yeah, and Tad, good. um, walk into what's going to be Doug's new, um, uh, spa, and Tad gets zapped. He gets the electrical um. shock. <laughs> And why that scene is so funny to me is because that actually happened to me. Oh, no. Uh, my father is a general contractor, so when I was growing up, I would help him do electric. And there was one day where I was doing some electric in a bathroom, and the circuit was supposed to be disconnected, but it wasn't. Oh, and no. I'm there, and I'm playing with the, uh, I'm screwing in the, the, the unscrewing the socket and um, the outlet my screwdriver sticks and I'm looking in the mirror as I'm getting electrocuted. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I'm just like, it lasted maybe like two or three seconds at the most. And I, oh you my know, gosh. but it was just like one of those moments where that is how I pictured that scene with, um, Doug and Tad. Yeah. And so it, it makes me laugh when I, and I know that that's probably people are going to go, Oh, that's so, but it's like, that just to me was one of the funniest Ooh. scenes that I just loved. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're dealing with an immortal character, okay, I guess we can classify <laughs> that as non-traumatic because yeah. he, he be was fine. fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so for, for me, that was just like one of those moments where, okay, I know he's fine, it's going to be fine, but it was funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to um, me, it felt like it came out of nowhere because it was like, what did he do? How? Like, <laughs> I am not. How did he get here? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um all right uh do you have any queer authors or authors of color whose work you'd like to shout out by any chance oh goodness um so there are a bunch of uh queer authors that i just i love um j scott's j scott coatsworth he's amazing um jp jackson he's amazing he's got some wonderful stuff oh god um uh, Barbara Russell, she is amazing. She's got some fantastic works. Now she's not, she's not part of the queer community, but I love her her writing and she's fantastic. Um, okay. Let's see who. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, there's there's so many, and, and my publishing house has got some. I've read so many books from from my fellow authors in my publishing house that are just phenomenal. That that I just I can't say enough good stuff about everybody. I mean, they you know, K.S. Trenton's got some great stuff. Um, Gene Marcel's got some great stuff. Uh, S.A. Baz Collins, he's got some phenomenal stuff. Oh, he just released this book. It was so good. It's um, Beware of Mohawks uh, Bearing Gifts, and he's Native American and um, Latino. Oh my gosh, alternate oh. history book. It, it was so freaking good. Um, long as hell. But so good. I, I, I loved it. And, you know, I mean, like I said, there, there are so many folks that I just I just adore. All right. Cool. Um, so last last question uh, is just where can our audience find you? How do they how do they find your books? How do they 
Okay. Are you on? Are you on Twitter? Or, well, <laughs> well, we know you're on Twitter. Yeah. Well, we know you're on Twitter, but how? What's your handle? Where do they? Where should people go? So, um, my publishing house is Nine Star Press. Uh, they can look, do an author search for M D New N E U. Um, that's a great way to find me. That's going to have some social media links. I'm also on, I have an author page on Amazon, which is MD new. I'm on Facebook, uh, MD new, uh, I think it's MD new rights, or that might be my Twitter handle. Um, let's see. Oh goodness. I'm on. Yeah. So let's see on Facebook. I'm on MD new, um, at MD new author on Twitter. I'm at, uh, it is, I believe it's uh, at MD New Rights. I'm just double checking to see if that's accurate. Um, I'm also on Instagram as well, and I post some, I think, some really cool stuff on Instagram. I like Instagram. Instagram is fun for me. Um, Instagram, I'm at author MD Are we New. following you on Instagram yet? <laughs> I don't not remember. Yet. I don't know. I we not should. I have done that. Yeah. Twitter, I think it's MD New. It's at MD New Rights underscore Rights. I also have a YouTube channel, which is MD New, which has a bunch of my book readings and some videos from book trailers and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> let's see what I think that one's just MD New, but double check. I have a website that people can go to, which is www.mdnew.com, which will definitely have a way for you to find me on all my social media as well. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of all over. Um, it's one variation of usually MD new somehow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah my uh, my YouTube channel is MD new M period D period new, um, and you'll see a, a gorgeous glamour shot of me on there, uh, as well as a bunch of not a ton of videos, but I've got a few videos there. I don't know why I can't find Twitter, but, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like I said, I'm pretty much, those are those are where people can pretty much find me. I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. Actually, I'm pretty active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, if you don't mind me saying it, your your Twitter is writer underscore MD new. Thank you. Because <laughs> it, it is not loading. And I'm sitting here and I was trying to find it. And I'm like waiting for it to load, <laughs> waiting for it to load. Going, Come on, anytime now. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was kind of uh, frustrating. Um, let's see, where else? Uh, let's see. Yeah, so, oh, and I'm on Goodreads as well. Uh, yeah, so Goodreads, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter would be the. And uh, final question, very, very last one. Um, if someone is trying to get into your body of work and doesn't know where to start, what would you recommend? Ooh, okay. So my suggestion for somebody who is just trying to figure out if they like my writing or not, I would say start with one of the short stories, either A Dragon for Christmas or The Reunion. Um, that way you kind of get a sense of a little bit of my humor and uh, my writing style. Um, if short stories aren't your thing and you want to just jump into a novel, I would say definitely start with Contact. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for for being with us here today and, and letting us ask you a bunch of questions. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> I really me. appreciate it, was, it. It's been a lot of yeah. fun. 
Good. I'm glad. All right. All right. And this has been an uh, interview with uh, MD New, Five Books That Burn, Nicole and Robin. And if you'd like to follow us, we are at Books That Burn on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so. And Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. We have one version of our name. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we managed to get just the one. <laughs> oh, so you guys, that's so good. I was like, I tried to get, like, just have one and. It did not work. I was like, what do you mean? I can't. Okay. I can't get that one. I can't get that one. And then I go back and, you know, and you check out these other, check them out. Right. They've been inactive for like five years. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? Okay, yeah. That we, we actually did. We um, really lucked out. We did a, f- well, we lucked out a little bit, but also before we officially started claiming it anywhere, I did a lot of Googling. <laughs> yeah. So. We kind of knew going in that that <laughs> nobody else. But on the other hand, clear. ours is not a person's name. So, you know, yeah. a little a chance was a little bit more in our favor, I think. <laughs> so, All right. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you.